Good morning. Words can change their meaning over time, can't they? I ran across an article published in the Washington Post in 2015, and it was called 24 Words That Mean Totally Different Things Now Than They Did Pre-Internet. It's true, there are many words now that mean something different or something in addition to what they meant just less than 20 years ago. So let's look at a couple, all right? We've got cloud, right? Cloud, fluffy white thing in the sky, rain comes from it. It's not scientific, but you get the idea, right? Now a cloud is an offline server where you can store information and data so that it's not on your server in-house, right? So something like that. Text, how about text? It's at one point, it meant like the words on a page, the text in front of you. It was a noun. It was the text of the passage. But now we use it as a verb. I'll text you when I'm on my way, right? Or viral, viral. It, this used to be something we'd talk about like when our kids were sick. You know, they have a viral cough or a viral cold. Um, but now viral is something that goes really popular on the internet really fast, either for good reasons or bad reasons. In all of 2020, I was terrified that we would go viral for something that happened here in church. I'm so glad we never did. <laughs> and then troll, here's another one. So troll, you know, cute or scary little creature that lives under a bridge or in a cave. Or if you happen to have gone to Trinity Christian College, your college mascot, go trolls. <laughs> a troll on the internet is something totally different. It's someone who looks for a post and looks to kind of stir up trou trouble and cause you know, comments that will kind of infuriate people. That's a troll on the internet. So the internet has changed how we use words. And just like there's a set of words that's now specific to our activity online and our activity on our phone, we have faith words that are specific to the things we talk about here in church. Words like identity and gospel, salvation or saved, faith, grace, gift, mercy. These words are written in Hebrew and Greek in our Old and New Testament, and these words are still words that we use today in English. But while nothing like the internet has come along and completely changed how we use these words, there are nuances to these words that we may miss in our 21st century Western reading of Scripture. So I'd love to spend some time with some of these words this morning as we look at Paul's writings in Ephesians chapter 2. This passage has challenged me this week because this passage is the gospel story in 10 verses. And I want to say succinct, but it's, it's succinct, but it's packed with information. And just like some of those first passages in Ephesians, it's a long sentence. Did you know that in the original Greek, there is a single 124-word sentence that goes from verse 1 to verse 7? It's just this long sentence that I would hate to have to diagram. But <laughs> it's huge. This passage is full of things that we pull out and we memorize. And we ask our kids to memorize them. And it's things that we know and we hear and we agree to in our minds all the time. It's kind of like some of these essentials of what we believe are found here. But I think the bigger challenge of this passage is how do we let these words permeate our hearts? How do these words that we've heard so many times in church, that we've memorized ourselves, how do they become living, breathing words that influence how we think and act and walk each and every day? These words, they don't need a radical new meaning. 
but they do need to have a depth and a value to them beyond the surface level. My hope and prayer is that this is where we'll land today. So as I often do, I have three points to kind of help you track with where we're going in this sermon. And this first section, we're going to talk about who we are. All right, so three points, the first one being who we are. And the first place that Paul's writings in Ephesians chapter 2 takes us is to this question of identity. Paul writes about who we, were, who we were compared to who we are now. And these are two completely different people, who we were and who we are. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. As for you, you were dead. Paul views the former life that we had as death. This is life without God. It's meaningless. It's not worth living. If life comes from God and being in relationship with God, then separation from God equals death. Death is here, and it permeates and controls our present life. People have no relationship with God, and people have broken relationships with each other. This is death on earth, and it's a result of the sin. This isn't the first time that Paul has talked about this concept. We see this idea as well in Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, this way death came to all people because all sinned. I think Romans 5 was the first sermon that I preached here, and we talked about how Paul was looking back to Genesis when sin entered creation through humans. This sin permeated all of creation. And through Adam, we encountered disobedience and sin and death and judgment and condemnation and death exercising dominion over the whole earth. We are literally the walking dead. Now, if Pastor Kurt or Pastor Stacy, maybe even Pastor Chuck, if they were preaching this sermon, I know they would tie in the idea of zombies. I know because they told me that they would die in the idea of zombies. <laughs> now, I'm not really a zombie person myself. I hate to disappoint you. But the image works. We were dead in our transgressions and sin. Our entire existence was shadowed by death. We were the walking dead. We were like zombies. And in the first part of Ephesians 2 and 4, 5, 4, 4 and 5, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. We were dead, but God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. We were dead because of his great love, God made us alive. We see this same idea in Romans 5. If we look at Romans 5, 17, we see, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, how much more will they reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Just like through Adam we encounter death, through Jesus we encounter obedience, a free gift of grace, justification, righteousness, more church words, huh? But we, through Jesus we encounter life, life exercising dominion over the whole earth. We were dead, but we don't have to live in this death. We're now offered the gift of life. 
Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, as neat as it is to package up these ideas into living as the walking dead or living in new life in Christ, this era of Adam, of sinful humanity and death, it's both happened and it's still currently happening. We know this. We experience death in different ways. Likewise, the era of Christ, of the free gift of grace and the abundant life, it's happened and it's currently happening. Um, this is like the now, it's a kind of a, um, a piece of the now and not yet that Pastor Stacy was talking about last week. We live in the tension of these two eras when they still, they're overlapping. And we wait for the day when the reign of Jesus Christ is full and complete. We wait for the day when everything moves over to this realm of new life. We do have a choice for our own lives right now, though. Do we want to stay in the land of death and decomposition, or do we want to find new life in a new land? Salvation is being retrieved from this land of death and lifted up and rescued out of it. Sometimes, though, life in this land of death doesn't always look and feel so bad. Sometimes we're moving along and things seem to be going just fine. And it can be hard to convince people to give up this land of death when they don't see a need to be rescued or lifted out of their current situation. You see, we don't always know what it means to be fully alive in Christ. We don't always know what we're missing. When our staff discerned that life groups were where the Holy Spirit was leading us here at ECC, this was a part of our hope that you would be in community with other believers who might show you a piece of life in Christ that you don't know that you're missing. We want you to be in community with other followers of Christ so that you can get to know each other on a deeper level and so that you can see how Christ has breathed this fully alive life into our stories. And if you haven't yet signed up to be part of a life group, it's not too late. We're putting people in groups and sorting it out right now, but you can still sign up through the Bible app or on the ecclife.net slash connect page. Come with us and see what this fully alive life can be like. Now, Paul has told us who we are, and he's told us why God would bring us from death to life. But Paul also needs to remind us of what we've been given. So as we move into our second point, Paul has a powerful word about grace. So we've looked at who we are, and now we're looking at what we've been given. So let's look at the most well-known of the verses in this passage, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. All right, and we've got it up on our screens. Will you read it with me? This is one that you may have memorized, but will you read it with me? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Thank you. Here, we see these words that we so often hear in church. Grace, and saved, and faith, and gift. And all that God has done, all, everything that God has completed so that we're raised to new life in Christ, this all begins with God's grace. I wanted to give you a sort of definition of grace, but it's hard to do justice to this concept of grace with plain words. So I did find some words that I thought, okay, this gives us a picture into the glimpse of how rich grace can be. 
Um, they're written by a man who is a professor at North Park, Klein Snodgrass. I trust him, so I figure he gives us a little bit of a richer picture of grace. So he writes, grace means the completely undeserved loving commitment of God to us. For some reason unknown to us, but which is rooted in his nature, God gives himself to us, attaches himself to us, and acts to rescue us. Though wrath should have come, saving grace comes instead. This action is rooted in God's very nature. So there's a little bit of a word picture to give you a fuller idea of grace. You see, grace can move us from the land of death, from shame into the presence of God in our present circumstance. In receiving this grace, we realize the desolation of the land of death that's around us. We realize that we can't get ourselves out of this situation. We realize that God has showered his riches upon us, and we can be in God's life and light. We can move from the death that first came through Adam into the new life that comes in Jesus Christ because of God's grace. God in God's nature cannot help but extend this grace to us. This grace is not earned through any human action, but God gives himself to us in this grace, and this grace connects us to Christ. How does it connect us to Christ? Ephesians 2.6 tells us. Ephesians 2.6 comes right after Paul had just said, for it is by grace you have been saved. And then he follows it with, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are worth that much to God that God would raise us up with his very own son and seat us with Christ. God has connected us to Christ by this raising up and seating us with him. God has connected us to Christ in this grace. Now, our tendency as Western Christians is to look at verses 8 and 9 and read them with a singular you. So you, you, the one person, you have been saved through grace um, and through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not from you yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that you yourself can't boast. That's how we read it as this is my own individual claim on salvation. But we've said it before, in Ephesians, when Paul uses you, it's a collective you. It's like a y'all. This is what we've been talking about all along. It's y'all. So if you look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, with the you, um, it, would be, it would say, it's like it says, for it is by grace that you all, y'all, have been saved. I can't say that. I'm from Chicago. <laughs> but <laughs> it's by grace that y'all have been saved through faith. And this is not from y'all selves. <laughs> it is a gift of God. It's not by works, so not a single one of you can boast. See, when we look around the room, we tend to assign people status. We see male. We see female. We see ethnic identity. We see level of education. We see family situations. And our temptation is to put people in a system of ranking. All of these layers that we see when we look around the room at people, these are irrelevant in Paul's economy. The things that determine our social relationships in our community and in a church community, they don't have a place in Paul, how Paul explains God's grace. Grace is not just for one people group, but it's for all of us. We can't boast about what we did or who we are or what people group we came from because that didn't earn us God's grace. 
we were dead. We were alienated from God, and God brought us to new life in Christ, and we're all part of a new creation. We all have the opportunity. We're all part of a new way of how human beings can relate to each other. So this corporate understanding of by, it's by grace that you all have been saved, that should draw us into reconciliation with others. We're all dead. We all need to be brought to new life. And if there's some form of oppression or injustice that's keeping people in this realm of death, in this existence apart from God, a part of us remains in that death with them. And when we're joined with Christ and being raised up from this death, we're joined to all those in the human race who have been lifted up with Christ as well. It's a communal thing. So how do we receive this grace? Individually as we need, but also as a group together. We know that it's not earned, but it's received through another one of those words that we use all the time in church. It's received through faith. It can be tempting to think of faith as agreeing to something in your mind. I agree with it. I have faith in it. But, um, see, when people begin following Christ, one of the first things we do is we pray a prayer with them, and often we'll have them repeat the prayer. And so it kind of sets us up that we're thinking, oh, this is something in our minds that we agree to. But we know when we pray those prayers, it's not just something that's happening in our minds, but it's moving into the realm of our hearts, and it's moving out into the world through our hands. Faith is like this as well. We've been talking in our children's messages about trust, putting your confidence in someone you can depend on. Faith is kind of like that. We can think of faith as a thing that involves relationship because faith is us relying on a reliable God, putting our confidence in God because we can depend on him. We connect our lives to God in faith and we live in response to God. So this grace that we receive by faith, it must be received as a gift, another word. So we move into our third point this morning. We've looked at who we are, we looked at what we've been given, and now we're looking at how we should live. How we should live. So the last word I want to talk about this morning is gift, as we've seen in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We've got a different word highlighted this time, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So this, when we hear that word gift, we're hearing it through our own cultural filter. We said that sometimes the nuances, we don't get them because we're 21st century Westerners. But our filter is different than how readers in Paul's original day would have experienced that word. You see, in Western culture, when we give a gift, we often say there are no what? No, thank you, no strings attached. We give a gift with no strings attached. Most of the rest of the world gives a gift with the expectation of reciprocity. You are indebted to someone if you take a gift from them. Gifts are a way to create obligations to people in many other cultures. So we said that faith involves entering into a relationship that binds our life with God in Christ. And the gift of grace, it operates in a similar way. We don't do anything to earn the gift, but we're obligated to respond after having received the gift. 
Our response is our loyalty to the one giving the gift. We receive the gift, we enter into a relationship, and we respond with our loyalty. There is a reciprocity, but it's not the reciprocity that we think of in our Western world. It's not like a, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I gave you a gift, you give me a gift. It's not that kind of thing. This gift that's given freely to all who would receive it, this invites us into an ongoing relationship and connection with God. So, I love the musical Les Mis for many reasons, but one of those reasons is that there's just a clear picture of what it means to live under the gift of grace. Grace is extended to the main character, Jean Valjean, and for the rest of his life, he tries to live in a way that extends that same grace to other people. The grace he received, it connects him in relationship to God. He received grace from a person, but he sings of how his soul now belongs to God. And the belonging to God means that he lives his life as a response to receiving that grace. See, we said it. God in God's nature can't help but show us grace. If we are living as image bearers of God in relationship with God, then when we receive grace, we can't help but share that grace with other people. In his book, John Barclay explains it this way. So grace is unconditioned. It's not given on the basis of works. There's nothing we did to earn it. But that's different than saying that grace is unconditional. It's, not, it's different than saying it's given with no expectation of return. You see, God's grace is given as a gift with the expectation that we will have a response to it. The return that we give, it's never going to match up. It's always going to pale in comparison to what God has given us. We give him our whole lives. He gave us the universe. So we never match up, but there is a reciprocity in this relationship of us giving back to God. It's expected. We love to read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but verse 10, it continues this phrase and thought. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We sometimes shy away from verse 10 because we don't want people to misinterpret that phrase, good works. A lot of tangents have gone, or people have gone certain ways thinking they have to do good works to earn salvation. That's not what we're saying. But we are created to do good works. You aren't saved by works, but you are saved for works. This, in Paul's mind, it's not a contradiction. The response to God's gift of grace, the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do, it's a way of life. These 10 verses in Ephesians, we said with that one really long sentence, these 10 verses um, make up a complete thought. And we're going to see in the future how the next 10 verses kind of parallel that thought and they build on it and they they expand upon it. But if we look at these 10 verses right here that we're looking at today, we're going to see that Paul's connected them all together through one word. There's a Greek word in verse 2 that if you look at the NIV translation, they write it this way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Followed is the word we're looking at, but that doesn't completely get at the heart of the Greek word. 
It would more appropriately be translated as, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once walked. In which you once walked. And if you look at verse 10 at the end of the passage, we read in NIV, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For us to do. But this would also be more accurately translated as, um, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So that we would walk in them. This verb for walk is what ties the beginning and the end of our passage together. Just as we once walked in our trespasses and sins and death, God's plan for us is now that we would walk in good works. The verb that's used here for walk it doesn't mean that we're going to live this life of faith perfectly or that we even have to try to be perfect in our walk. That's not what it's about. It's about a way of life, about our walk. It addresses the orientation of our lives. We were walking in a place away from God, and now we are walking in relationship with God, and we are doing good works as a response to that relationship. Through the gift of God's grace, our lives are completely turned around. We move from the sphere of death into the sphere of life. We not only break free of the sinful living that we were dead to in the beginning of the passage, we become a new creation in Christ, a people with a new way of living that's expressed and demonstrated in our good works. We are a new creation. We are a people of grace. We've been given an incredible gift. We didn't need to do anything to earn it, or deserve it, but we're invited to live in response to that gift of grace. So what would it look like to extend that same gift of grace to your family, and to your friends, to your co-workers, to your neighbors, to your enemies? What would it look like to extend that grace to people in your life this week? This is the way that we are called to walk. So I'm going to close with a time of prayer this morning, and I invite you to listen for God's voice. Listen to where God may be inviting you to live as a person of grace this week. And as we pray as well, I'm aware that some of you may not have accepted this gift of grace yet, and you may want to move from this realm of death into new life. So I want to create space for that as well. At the end of the service, I'm going to stay up at the front, and um, I'll have another one of our pastors stay up here with me. Maybe Pastor Kurt, you could stay with me. We'll stay up here if you want to know about this life, about accepting this gift of grace through faith. We would love to pray with you as well. We would love for that to become the way that you walk in your life. So um, let's go to God in prayer and see how he's challenging us and talking to us this week. Gracious God, you have given us new life. You have moved us from the realm of death into the realm of life, and for that we are so grateful. God, for those who don't yet know this gift of life, I pray you'd be stirring in their hearts that they would come to know you and accept you and enter into a relationship with you through faith. And God, you have given us this gift of grace, and we are so grateful. And Lord, you have asked us now, as we walk with you, to extend that grace to others. Lord, sometimes it can be challenging to extend grace to people in our lives who are difficult. Lord, sometimes it can be challenging to extend grace to people in our lives who we spend a lot of time with. Lord, sometimes um, 
it can just be challenging to live as a person of grace. So we ask that you would open up our eyes to the opportunities right in front of us each and every day. Lord, where we live as people of grace already, increase that grace. Lord, where we are struggling, come alongside us and empower us with your Holy Spirit so that your grace may flow from you through us into the lives of others. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.